Hello again, and welcome to Bible study. I think the whole country was agog last year during the trial of Lucy Letby. Lucy Letby seemed to be a, a blonde, pretty, young, gentle, kind nurse, but she was on trial for seven murders and six attempted murders of, of babies. And as you may know, she was found guilty on all charges and she was given a whole life tariff. We're going to see today how many attempts were made to murder David. David had killed Goliath. Did he get his triple reward? It doesn't look as if he did. He went in to favour with King Saul and out of favour again. He was given a high army rank and he was restored as a musician for the king. He was in favour with Jonathan, his friend. They became very close. They entered into a covenant with one another to be friends for life. And Jonathan kitted David out with soldierly kits so that he looked like a man of war, so that he looked like an, an officer rather than one of the other ranks. And at the beginning of chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, David was in favour with Saul. It says that, verse 2, from that day Saul kept David with him and Saul gave him a high rank in the army. David was also in favour with the ladies. There was a pop song going around the streets of Judah in those days. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Now they weren't dissing Saul, as we would say. They were rejoicing in the successes of both these men. But Saul took it as an insult and the red flag of jealousy began waving in his mind. It says in verse 8, Saul was very angry. Jealousy, that green-eyed monster. If, if looks could have killed, they would. It says in verse 9, Saul kept a close eye on David. Let me read you chapter 18, verse 1 to 11. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. David eluded him twice. So we see then that David has had his 
life put in danger by Saul twice, two attempted murders on his person. In the next section of chapter 18, the third attempt to kill David was indirect. We know that Saul was afraid of David, and Saul gave a command to David, a command of a thousand men, and he said, um, you go out and fight, and I'll give you my daughter Mirab in exchange for success in battle. Now, the hand of his daughter in marriage had been one of the promises to be made to the killer of Goliath, but that promise hadn't been kept. So he appointed David as a commander of thousands in the hope that in going to war, David would be killed by the Philistines. Saul was planning a wedding, but hoping for a funeral. But David kept winning. The Philistines never did kill him. And when he came back into court to claim Mirab as his wife, Saul had married her off to somebody else. He cancelled the wedding and married her to somebody called Adriel. I wonder what Mirab thought, thought of all this. First of all, her father telling her she's got to marry David and then telling her, no, you're not, you've got to marry Adriel instead. I wonder if she had thought, oh, I was so lucky, I was going to marry the most famous man in Israel. Or whether she thought to herself, oh, that boy, he was only a shepherd, well below my status, we don't know. But either way, Mirab was married off to somebody else and David did not get that aspect of the reward. Let's read on in verse 20. Now Saul's daughter Michal was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, Now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Then Saul ordered his attendants, Speak to David privately and say, Look, the king likes you, and his attendants all love you. Now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David. But David said, Do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. When Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, Say to David, The king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Saul's plan was for David to fall by the hands of the Philistines. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter Michal in marriage. When Saul realised that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known. Here we have another attempt to kill David in battle. Verse 20 there, where it says that Mirab was, sorry, Michal was in love with David, is the only reference in the Old Testament, I think the only reference in the whole Bible, to a young girl, a young woman being in love. 
Saul says, I'll give you a second chance. I've got my daughter here, Michal. She loves David. Okay, David, you can have a, a second chance to become my son-in-law, but you haven't got much money, have you? David himself said, I'm only a poor man. So clearly David hadn't received the monetary reward that had been promised to the killer of Goliath. And Saul said, well, never mind, go out and kill a hundred Philistines, prove their deaths by bringing out back the, the, the foreskins, the proof, and then you can marry Michal. David thought, well, I can do that, all right. He was pleased, he went out, and he killed 200 of the enemy. Publishers of illustrated Bibles had to be very careful what they put in their Bibles when recording this story. This is the fourth attempt to kill David. David and Michal did marry, regrettably, unhappily. So in this chapter, we've had one wedding and 200 funerals. And it says in verse 29, Saul became still more afraid of David and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. David wasn't an enemy of Saul, but Saul saw David as his enemy. In chapter 19, the attempted murders go on. Saul thought, if the Philistines can't kill David, Jonathan, you must do it. And he instructed his son Jonathan to kill David. Jonathan, of course, was shocked. He was in covenant friendship with David. And in verse 2, Jonathan arranged a secret meeting with David. And then Jonathan pleaded with Saul to change his mind. And Saul made an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. Now, was this a lie? Or was it said in good faith, but he came to break his oath later? We can't really be sure. But he set Jonathan's mind at rest and thought that David would be safe in court. Jonathan and David held their meeting, but David refused to return to the court. And in verse 8, normal service was resumed. Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. So David is still doing his job as an army commander, and he's also still doing his job as a musician. In verse 10, or verse 9, an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his, his escape. Three times, Saul had thrown a spear to try to kill David and pin him to the wall. So Saul made up another attempt to kill this rival to his throne. Reading from verse 11 of chapter 19. Saul sent some men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed covered it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. When Saul went, sent the men to capture David, Michal said, he is ill. Then Saul sent the men back to see David and told them, bring him up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. But when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed and at the head was some goat's hair. Saul said to Michal, why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? Michal told him, 
he said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah. Saul had ordered a squad of his men to watch David's home, to hang, out, hang around, out, around the front door, so that when he came out to go to work in the morning, they could arrest him and take him to Saul for murder. But Michal got to hear of this, and she said in verse 11, run for your life. And then Michal let him down through the window so that he could flee. This may remind you what happened to the Apostle Paul. He recalls it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. After his conversion, he spent three years in Damascus, and then he had to escape. He escaped in a basket, let down through a window. An Old Testament story mirrored here by a New Testament story. So Michal put <coughs> this idol in the bed. Does that remind you of Rachel in the Old Testament, how when she was fleeing with Jacob from Laban, and she knew that he, Laban had caught them up and was going to search her tent, so she sat on the household idols in the tent, and she said to her father, sorry, Dad, I've got a bad period, I can't move, you can search the tent, but please don't ask me to move around. She was sitting on the very things that Laban was trying to find. What earth was Rachel, wife of Jacob, Michal, wife of David, doing with idols in the household? It's extraordinary. Maybe in the case of Michael, their wedding had, was so soon, so recent, that David hadn't got to know her very well yet and didn't have any awareness of these idols in the household. However, Michal told a lie when the soldiers came and said he's ill. Notice how the Old Testament hardly ever makes moral judgments. It makes judgments on people who are disloyal to the Lord, but it seldom makes judgments on people who cross the moral law. Here it just tells us that she lied, uh, and, and moves on. So the soldiers find the dummy. And Saul, Saul is furious. And he tells her off, why have you lied to me? And she said, oh, I had to, Dad, because David threatened to kill me. That was another lie to get her out of a, an awkward situation. That was attempted murder number six. So David has lost his security. He's lost his home. He's lost his wife. He's lost his command in the army. Whatever will he do? Well, have a look at Psalm 59, and in the introduction to it, it says, A miktam, when Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. Verse 3, See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me. For no offence or sin of mine, Lord, I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. Well, what could David do other than turn to the Lord? He went to find his friend Samuel towards the end of chapter 19. Now, Samuel was in Ramah, which was his home. Remember, Elkanah and Hannah had lived in Ramah too. And David opened his heart to Samuel. He said, you chose me, you anointed me, everything's gone pear-shaped, everything's gone wrong, now help me. Now, Saul heard that David was in Ramah and he sent men to capture David. But each time they found David with Samuel, Samuel was leading a service of worship, and prophets were prophesying, telling out the greatness of God. And Saul's men got caught up in their prophetic frenzy, and they also proclaimed the greatness of God. 
And then Saul thought to himself, well, if you want a job doing well, do it yourself, I'll go to Ramah. So Saul came to Ramah. He got caught up in this ecstatic frenzy too. And he prophesied. He started glorifying God and stripped off and lay there naked, starkers, for 24 hours. This is a sign, isn't it, of Saul's mental deterioration. He's made six attempts at murder. He's broken his oath. He's stripped naked to prophesy. His mind is all over the place. And so the saying went about, as we've seen in a previous talk, is Saul also among the prophets? In other words, it's incongruous. The thought of this ungodly king, Saul, who shows precious little regard for the Lord, being a prophet of the Lord, we, we can't get our minds around it. It's like saying King Charles is really a beatnik, or Princess Anne is a go-go dancer, or Queen Camilla is a pop star singer. The two ideas just don't go together. And so here in chapter 19, we've seen Saul, the appointed king, trying to destroy David, the anointed king, at least six times. God protected David by the intervention of Jonathan, by David's skill at avoiding a spear, by his skill in battle, by Michal's deception plan, and by this strange intervention at the end of the chapter by the Holy Spirit. Six attempts at murder have failed, and David is in despair. So what? What have chapters like this got to teach you and me as believers in Jesus? We're not likely to go out to attempt to murder people. So what possible help can these be to us in our walk with the Lord? Well, firstly, in 18 verse 3, human friendship. David and Jonathan entered into a, a covenant. Jonathan gave David gifts, his uniform, and, and, and other gifts. It was a forever friendship. Isn't your friendship with Jesus a forever friendship? Jesus said, I have called you friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. We should not allow our friendship, either with other believers or with our Lord, to come under pressure. Let us not put our friendships to the test. Sometimes our friendship with Jesus is put to the test through weakness, through negligence, through our own deliberate faults. We will find what a friend we have in Jesus, that hymn also says, have we trials and temptations? If you are in a friendship relationship with Jesus, you, it will be put to the test. There will be trials and temptations, but you are in covenant with your divine friend. In 18 verse 8, we read about the green-eyed monster, the sin of jealousy. In the Song of Solomon, it says, jealousy is as cruel as the grave. What was Saul jealous of? In the first instance, he was jealous of David's renown with the girls. All the women around Israel were singing David's praises more highly than his praises. What arouses your jealousy? What causes that green-eyed monster suddenly to appear in your mind? and you could throttle somebody because something they've said or done or thought or reported about you. Surely the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, embraces the sin of jealousy. 
I'm interested also in David's self-assessment in chapter 18, verse 23. He says, I'm only a poor man and little known. Now, I try to draw attention every time to how much we find Jesus in these stories. Wasn't there another man who was a poor man and little known? Wasn't there another man who was poor and little known for 30 years, living in obscurity in Nazareth, the Son of God, Almighty God, incarnate, building a house, putting up a roof, making a door, building a cart for somebody, little known, a king in waiting. David was a king in waiting. Jesus then was a king in waiting until he came to what John's Gospel would describe as his kingship on the cross when he's exalted high and all are drawn to him. And in a sense, Jesus is waiting now. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, but he's waiting to exercise that authority in space and in time here on the earth when he will return and set up his eternal kingdom over which he will reign forever and ever. Notice in chapter 19, verse 10, 10, David eluded Saul when Saul drove the spear into the wall and that night David made good his escape. We see the balance here between God's overruling sovereignty and human responsibility. We know, we know from the end of the story, David didn't know, we know that David would become king. David didn't know that at that time. He'd been told he would be king, he had been anointed as the future king. It hadn't yet happened. We know that God was overruling these events to bring his King David to the throne. But David had a human responsibility. If Saul was throwing a spear at him, he was going to dodge out the way. If he was going to go into battle, he'd make sure he was armed with a sword and fight well. If men were outside his front door to get him in the morning, went out to work, then he fled through the window with Michal's help. There's a, there's a relationship between God's overruling sovereignty and our responsibility to cooperate with the will of God. David was destined to be a king, but he still had to dodge a bullet. Jesus was destined to be a king. He didn't dodge the cross. Jesus is waiting to become manifestly the king over all. And another point in chapter 19, verse 18. When in despair, seek pastoral help. When David was at the end of his tether, where did he go? He went to Samuel. He went to Samuel, where he shared his sorrows and his difficulties and his challenges with Samuel. He'd lost his home, his wife, his job security, his army command. He'd had all gone. What am I going to do next, Samuel? He went to a good pastoral friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. May God bless you through these instants in the life of David. Amen.